Hello, welcome to the edited version of Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. If you'd like to hear the full version of this conversation, then you can go to cosmicshambles.com slash bookshambles and become one of our Patreon supporters, uh, which you can do for as little as $1 an episode. That's one US dollar, and obviously it will depend on which of our economies is declining more, uh, how much that actually works out in pounds, uh, euros, etc. Hello, welcome to Book Shambles. Hello, welcome to Book Shambles. This week it is the second of six episodes we recorded at the Edinburgh Fringe. This week Robin is chatting live to Alex Edelman and Jen Brister. But before we get on to that, as usual, a couple of plugs for some events we've got coming up. October 6th, we're doing Book Shambles Live at the Ilkley Literature Festival. October 12th, we'll be doing the Space Shambles Quiz on the Friday night as part of the QED conference. Uh, Lots of great prizes there. And then the day after, October 13th, we'll be doing Book Shambles Live at QED, where our guest will be Wally Funk, uh, aviating pioneer, member of the Mercury 13. That's going to be absolutely uh, fantastic. You're not going to want to miss that she'll be joined by robin and sue nelson uh author and broadcaster who has written wally funk's race for space a biography of wally's life and her work with uh aviation and nasa and everything else and then october 22 we're going to be back in manchester again at the science festival doing a book shambles live there robin will be hosting that Uh, with a special guest co-host for that, Professor Sophie Scott, and the guest will be uh, Professor Charles Ferniehoe. So that is going to be uh, based around psychology and neuroscience and Robin's new book, Uh, I'm a Joke and So Are You. You can pre-order that now, of course. And then November 1st is the London launch for Robin's book. Uh, Lots of special guests doing a show for that at King's Place, and then obviously in December are four nights of nine lessons and carols for curious people. We have changed the name ever so slightly for this year. Welcome to all our new patrons who've joined us in the last week uh, from the Cosmic Shambles blog network. Uh, your support helps us keep making book shambles and everything else we do at Cosmic Shambles. Uh, if you'd like to support us via Patreon, patreon.com slash bookshambles is where you can do that. Or just uh, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. uh, Review, leave a five-star rating, share on social media. All of that really helps us out. Thank you very much. And now on to this week's episode. Uh, Welcome to Book Shambles that is coming from the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And uh, today is really nice. Someone that I met when they were all just like a really excited little boy, like I was as a stand-up as well. You know, that bit where you first meet someone and it hasn't quite started yet. You're on the journey. And you're exhausting everyone else around you. And uh, But uh, we are joined by someone who this very day, probably what, the last four hours, has been nominated for the Edinburgh Comedy Award, Alex Edelman. Yeah. Boy, yeah, it's been a crazy. Uh... It's cool, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird. That's, you you that's... can't. It's not a. Because uh, I was. We'll get onto books. We won't talk about your magnificent no. career now. No, but um, what I will say is, I was about to bring this up before you start recording, but I might as well remind you. Robin would do when he wasn't here for full runs. Would do these crazy jaunts to Edinburgh, where he'd like in three days do it. I'm not kidding. It'd be like thirty gigs. I'm not exaggerating. It'd be like, there was one day I remember you had like 13 spots. Yeah, I think the most I'm at, I, I, I did, uh, one weekend I did in two days, uh, 36. 
And that was, yeah, I started at 10, and I did some of them were full yeah. length shows, and some of them will be some Some were just little say, things, some, yeah. and they were always packed, and I would walk around with you sometimes just to hang. And this might be a bit graphic, so I'm very sorry <laughs> about this. But um, I had found a lump, and I was in bad state because I had gone to this clinic here, and the doctor went, uh, I said, is it cancer? And he said to me, well, it could be anything. <laughs> and I was like, anything? I was like, is it a pizza? He's like, it's not a pizza. Like, it was, like, I, and I was, like, barely holding it back. And you were, like, one of the only people I knew well enough, and we were walking between the, ple- between the cannon's gate and the Pleasance, and we took a back alley, and at one point, I just broke into tears. And Robin, you were very kind, but I also remember as you were hugging me, there, were, there was a part of my brain that went, he doesn't have time for this tonight. Yeah. <laughs> like, he doesn't have time. He's going between gig number six on his way to gig number seven, and he's going to come back the same way for gig number 14, so, like, there's no way... It, but is, yeah, you're very it, nice it, it is a Kirby enthusiasm moment, isn't it? It's, it's, uh, <laughs> Hi, I haven't seen you for ages. Sorry, I'm just on the way to gig. Oh, anyway, just a quick catch-up. I've got cancer now. Oh, fuck, I really do need to get oh, to the gig, but yeah, what's I mean. the shortest amount of time that I can have a cancer conversation and still get on stage you, at the same time? Have you just discovered you have cancer, or have you been struggling <laughs> yeah. with it for some time? <laughs> I, I didn't have anything, by the way. It was a very convincing yeah. Alistair McGowan, perfect impression of a tumor, <laughs> but it was like, uh, it was not, it was not that. So. It's, stage, it's stage two. I reckon I can get away in three minutes. Stage four. I might as well cancel a fucking show. Yeah. That's going to cost me money now as well. This is infuriating. Is it metastasizing? No. Well, can we catch up later? Because I really... Uh, how quickly is the spread? Now, you are someone who is... Uh, you love books. And I, I was trying to... I can't remember because I'm doing so many shows. That the first book you gave me, Nathan... Uh, Englander. Nathan For Englander. the Relief of Unbearable Urges. Yeah. Oh man, it's such a fucking good book. It's uh, so when I was a not to give too much dumb backstory, but I was raised Orthodox Jewish, and I remember reading this book. Someone gave me this book as a really ill-conceived gift because I was only supposed to read like there's a great obviously literary tradition of Jewish writers, but like also like some somewhat safe Jewish writers too, like Isaac Bashevis Singer or or someone like that who wrote in sort of the Yiddish English culture. And Nathan Englander is, is that, but it was also, there was something about the writing, which isn't in, inherently controversial, like Shalom Auslander or some of these more like, or Philip Roth, which challenges the very nature of Judaism. There was something very modern about it, which, which said, if you like this writing, there's other stuff out there for you to get at. And even the references, the small references, never like a specific person but like something about the stories the thing like i remember reading the stories and thinking this is an echo of something but i can't i I don't know what it is because i lack the frame of reference so the stories are really kinetic he's a short story writer but he's done a few novels since i gave you the book and uh and then i went to new york university and about uh, two years after i matriculated to nyu he joined the staff as a professor and so he has been the biggest, uh, even comedy. I'd say he's a comedy influence for me. Like he's got a great, great short story in that collection about this guy. Am I rambling? No, right. not at all. Uh, there's this. And if you are, I am not the person to tell you off. <laughs> so uh, I remember. I remember, I've seen one show of you where. We're 45 minutes in, you went, sorry about the digression. It was the first thing you had, co- and you're like, I have a show to get into, and someone went like. We're 45 minutes into the show. But yeah, so like, yeah, anyway. if anyone ever flies to me, it flies to me, I would just say, uh, yeah. as you give me out the fly, say, are you a fan of narrative arc? Oh, you are. Give that back. Uh, <laughs> so, so he's got this story called Reb Santa, 
which is about this rabbi, this really orthodox uh, guy, but he's a spitting image of Santa Claus. And he's in such dire straits that uh, he's Mark Knopfler. No, uh, he's, got, he's in such dire straits. I'm sorry. Just nominated. Just nominated. Yeah, yeah. The worst. The worst. Uh, <laughs> this rabbi, very serious short story, guys. Come on, be serious. Um, this very serious short story is about this rabbi who, who's a dead ringer for Santa Claus. And um, he's Jan Ravens. No, I'm sorry. Uh, he's a dead ringer for Santa Claus. And he decides uh, to be a mall Santa for, for Christmas season. And it makes him an, a, an enormous amount of money. And, um, and the, there are so many memorable great jokes and lines in the, in the story. Uh, but the end of the story is this kid sitting on his lap. And he says, what do you want for Christmas, little boy? And the kid says, I don't know. I've never had Christmas. And he said, why? And the kid tells him his parents were just divorced and his, his, uh, his father's taken him, but his mother is Jewish. This is a Jewish kid sitting on this very observant Jewish guy's lap while he's pretending to be Santa. And he loses his mind and decides in that moment that it's not worth it and sort of like kicks off. And... And the stories, even the sad stories, are all funny. He's got a story that became a play that Nora Ephron adapted for the public theater in New York called The 27th Man, about 26 great writers who are rounded up by Stalin, and they're all in this prison cell about to be shot. And there's this one 27th writer that nobody knows, and their egos, they're still like writers. They're like famous authors. So their egos are driving them crazy. They're like, I'm going to be murdered with this fucking nobody? Like, they're going to light me up against the wall with this. They could have lined me up against the wall last week when they killed that great writer before. And now I'm stuck here with you guys. And they've got all these, like, literary rivalries. And there's, like, a lot of literary gossip. And this guy turns out, like, composes this little story or poem while they're lined up against the wall. And they're like, oh, shit, this guy is, like, Daniel Ketson. Like, he's an absolute genius. And uh, maybe it's, like, an honor to be shot. But, yeah, in any, in any case, that dude, uh, Nathan Englander, has... He's my kind of Jew, which I know sounds weird, but like, I've I've always I liked like the fact you're also pitching possible BBC series as well while you're doing this. Now. My kind of my Jew. My kind of Jew. Yeah. <laughs> Have I got Jews for you, starring <laughs> Nathan Englander and Jeremy Corbyn? So yeah. that is. Uh, uh, um, I'll be I'll be at the recordings, but I won't be involved. I'll just. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, it's interesting though that when you you talk about. Uh, literary influences and, and book influences because I think that as well where sometimes you remember the influences that you have as a stand-up comic who are other stand-ups uh, and maybe even filmic ones but actually you know I, I think as someone like for me probably whether I notice it or not undoubtedly reading the work of Kurt Vonnegut ends up totally effect, and that would and, and it would be true of Josie as well I know that that um, and so I'm interested in other when did you in terms of thinking that you, in some ways you want to be some form of artist, was there a certain point, something that you read that you thought, ah, man, the way that these words are used, I would like to be able to, you know, make these spells with words as well? Well, Nathan was one of them, but you ever get a book in your hands when you're a kid and you just read it again and again and again? And, like, for some reason... And the funny thing is, for a lot of people, it's not even, like, the best, most florid, well-written stuff. It's something with, like... Writing, and I hate to use this phrase, writing with a lot of kinetic energy. Like Harry Potter, even if you don't like it, even if you think, oh, it's the thing that dumb people who don't read, read. 
it's undoubtedly got so much kinetic energy. There's something about the way the words move across a page that you think that this is this is no pun intended. This is actual magic. This is really really good. And so but that's what spells. Alan Moore's talked about that before. That it's called spells because it is spelling. The way that a spell would be used to curse <coughs> someone was you would. Uh, he said, you know, the the the, the, the Welsh shaman and wizards. They would write something about someone, sure. and then they would get a reputation, and it would destroy them. So spells but, are spells. But things that were so different to me. Think I. I think I've only got one thing going for me in general, which is that I've got a super healthy sense of curiosity, and I've never said no to something. I, and people, it annoys me. My show right now is about going to a meeting of anti-Semites in New York City. I didn't do it out of some like tenured, pith helmeted like journalism instinct or like to get an hour of material. That's insane. What I did was I went because like, why not have all of the experiences? Like that's why I came to England. That's why I started coming to Edinburgh. Like why not have all of it? And Edinburgh here, there's a lot of stuff on. I see a lot of theater and I don't see much dance or art because it doesn't do much for me. Like I don't, I don't fully understand it. It seems kind of impenetrable, but like I, I, I do Nathan, Nathan Englander was at the book festival in 2013 or something. I went and watched and like, uh, I'll see, like I went to a mural spark thing the other day. Cause like the prime Miss Jean Brody for me was a book that I, I thought was great. But like the first book that I remember it's, I can't even remember the name of the author, but I think it was called the ear, the eye and the arm. And it was about these three detectives in Nigeria in like the distant future and they've all got these mutations which looking back now realizing for the first time might have been like related to some sort of like this dystopian future one had a massive sense of hearing but was blind and the other had an incredible eyesight one had literally an arm that could like re and like they were solving some crime and there were jokes in the book I, even at like 10 11 years old i thought man the shape of the jokes in these books was so interesting and funny and, and it just sort of was my first sort of inkling. That and Mel Brooks were my first inklings that that something was out there and that maybe I, I could do it. And and I'm dyslexic, so so things so like books were hard won for me. Like they were like I didn't read till I was pretty. I didn't I didn't read for a while. But was that, so. I, I wonder if partly, because I know quite a few people I know who, who love reading now and love reading books, they didn't really like reading when they were kids, as if they were going, I don't really want to read this, I want to wait, and, and that's why one of the things that I love about Harry Potter, I've never read the books myself, but my son, <laughs> at eight years old, him and all of his friends are reading a book that is 600 sure. pages long, and they're totally. enthralled by it, and whatever people, I mean, I think part of the problem sometimes when you have books like that, and people go, oh, but actually it's a kid's book, is yeah, that's what it is, it's not when people get angry about stuff. Star Wars films and they're 49 years old and sure. you go but it's not for you. you 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 should have grown you know it's a fun thing to go and watch Solo with also, my 10 year old but the judgment is a different judgment before you get into like not to be over analytical but before you get into craft just like realize that the thing that people like is story like just yeah. under like what I actually so I say I didn't read for a while that's also a tiny bit of a lie because I read voraciously, but I just didn't know how to read. So what I do is look at the page and pick up as many words as possible as I could from the page and get the gist, and then I go to the next page. So I was confused a lot of the time. You must have liked comics then, though. I loved comics. Like yeah. Alan Moore, for me, unbelievable. Graphic novels, I can't buy graphic novels now because I, I, I've been reading them since I was really small, so I inhale them, so they're not a good use of, mo of yeah. money. Like, I will finish 
a like 200 page graphic novel in like you know like half an hour. Like I can just I just something about that medium just really is easily accessible for me and there are amazing I mean if you get away from the superhero stuff which is not to attack it's just I don't read that I don't read those either things like you know uh, Fun Parlor uh, is an incredible yeah. uh, fun home, a uh, fun home. Sorry, Alison yeah, Battel, home. yeah, fun, yeah, and what's I can't remember her the, the follow up shit about her her, her mother, mm. and then and my son he, blankets, read, he reads Terry Thompson's illustrator, yeah, and anything Alan Moore has ever done is so good and kinetic, and that's the thing, kinetic energy. I love I love stuff that has kinetic energy. I love a shtick from a vaudevillian comedian, or I love like. Blazing Saddles is such a perfect – just because Mel Brooks is on the brain. It's such a perfect movie. It's so fun. Just It just rockets along the whole way. And all and every scene has a joke that's a joke of the scene. And, like, it loses nothing. It lets you know right away that the joke isn't on black people so you feel totally comfortable. I went to a Q&A with Mel Brooks after a Blazing Saddles screening in in London recently and I know his manager I've, I've worked on a, a thing so I've met Mel Brooks a bunch of times now and he always remembers my face and pretends to remember my name which is really sweet and if he likes you but doesn't agree with you he'll just pat your cheek and go no 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 and so he was talking he's talked about political correctness a lot and how he thinks it's bullshit which breaks my heart on a surface level because usually that's a really bad sign and then I brought a friend of mine, Cord Jefferson, who's a really good uh, comedy writer. He's like, uh, he's uh, mixed mixed race. It's relevant. I'm not just I'm not just referencing the color of somebody, but he writes on Master of None. As he's on Sorry Show, uh, or no, sorry, he's writing on The Good Place now, which is my favorite show on TV. It's a really good show, and yeah, it's so good. It's isn't it fucking great? It's really really fun. Talk about kinetic energy. But so he's he comes into the dressing room with with me afterwards. And Richard Pryor is a screenwriting credit on Blazing Saddles. And he mentions it. And Mel Brooks says, wow, you know, they brought me the script and I thought, I can't write this on my own. Like, I don't understand the black experience. So I knew Richie from the village thing. And like, he's talking and I was like, this is the wokest thing I've ever heard. And I said, like, no, that's representation. He's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, you hired a guy who was black because he was the best guy for the job. You, and he went, no, 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 you don't. Good to see you. Good to see. Like you just. But that is really sorry. But that movie, that movie was big for me. Blazing Saddles, Spaceballs was even bigger for me. It's not as good as Blazing Saddles. I think according to ninety. Whatever yeah, but Rick Moranis people. is the one thing. Dark helmet. And also because Rick Moranis so turns funny. out to be one of the nicest men in the world when you read about him because he just went, I'm going to give up movies so I'm going to bring up my kids because he lost his... Uh, he, yeah, he's what was the first thing... Can I just thing... check, by the way, is Jen here yet? No, I, I oh, okay, great. What was the first thing you remember... This is now a Beckett play. Sure. <laughs> Waiting for Bristol. Yeah. yeah. What was the last... What was the first thing you remember laughing really hard at? Well, I've got to admit, well, actually, it probably was something like uh, the goodies. 
which was, you know, huge, obviously, UK and in Australia. And it was just, there was, again, when you talk about kinetic energy, which I like the fact you keep saying that because you actually come from, your, your, your dad is a scientist. So, yeah, you know, yeah. The, but the, to watch that, I used to sit next to my dad would sometimes from his office bring back a, a little tape recorder and I would sit with a tape recorder, not, you know, literally just next to the speaker of the television. Sure. And just record it so I could listen to my childish laughter, it turned out. Because you couldn't hear any of the script. Because it was just me so giggling and giggling and giggling. And, and, so and you knew the jokes too, right? You knew the jokes by then. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then the one, the first time I remember like a load of ice cream really coming out of my nose was the moment where Blazing Saddles, when they pan across all the bad guys and then they get to the Nazis that are sitting there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and again, or, or the Ruttles. The, again, my, I love my very moment of Blazing Saddles, by the way. Is where is where the old woman is being punched in the stomach, and she looks directly into the camera and goes, "Have you ever seen anything so horrible?" <laughs> um, but anyway, let's get on to uh, reading as well. Let's let's stick on the book. Br- hey, Brister! Brister! <laughs> It's okay. How no, embarrassing. It's no, it's Hi. not embarrassing at all. When you originally uh, were, I asked you about this, you were doing another gig, yeah. and I said, don't worry if you can get here a little bit later. Sure. And uh, so you have, so it's fine. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, Congratulations, by the way. Oh, thanks, pal. Yeah, oh, we covered that. Don't worry about it. Well, we've done it. Anymore. it. Totally I just spent the last half hour preening about that. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I hear you. Russell I hear you. Kane doesn't have shit on. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, we um, we 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 were starting off just talking about some of the kind of the, the whether As whether being sometimes a Jew. the uh, <laughs> I didn't Edelman. ask him; he volunteered. And uh, but I, about when books have been an influence on on the voice of your stand up, because we talk a lot often about other stand ups or movies. But I wondered if uh, if it's all for well, first of all, by the way, Jen, you've got a show that has been uh, revered and had some fantastic uh, reviews. And and, uh, Thank you, you. and it's an interesting, uh, we'll talk about it briefly just because I haven't been able to see it because it's on the same time as, as uh, I am on and I'm selfish like that. And uh, <laughs> even if the audience do request, we really Robin, don't mind if you go you? and see something else. Um, <laughs> but you're, you're talking about, so when we were chatting about this uh, month Latitude, and a half ago, yeah. and uh, it's about, a part of it is about the perimenopause. This yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. What's the peri- what a fun what's the peri- subject. What's the perimenopause? Um, well, the perimenopause. Well, this is why I wanted to start writing um, uh, writing about it, was because I went to my GP, found out it was perimenopausal, then asked my GP and said, you know, what is it? And they were like, meh. Is it menopause, but it's just a little bit spicier than the average? Yeah, you just add a little bit of peri-peri on top, and it's just special. Um so uh, I sort of Googled it, and I did all of, um, you know, the classic uh, lazy research. And... Um, Everything was conflicting, all the information, all the evidence, everything was just like, what, contradicting. Uh, and, uh, I started to panic, uh, because I was having hot flushes and I was very moody. And, um, so, uh, I thought, I'd, I just thought, this is, why isn't anyone talking about it? Why aren't women talking about it? How can I have got to the age of 43 and not know anything about it? Why do none of my friends not know anything about it? I just thought it was weird. It's not like we don't know about our periods. Why would Je- we, why do we not know about what happens when they stop? You're 43? Yeah, baby. I thought you were like, I thought you were like, you can stay. 30. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> You're uh, 43 book, years book old. Shambles is a no flirting podcast. <laughs> oh. oh my God. Well, There's going to be another to... revelation you're going to yeah. in a minute, Alex. You'll have to work really hard anyway <laughs> on that note. Um, but um, uh, so uh, when I started writing about it, um, that was why uh, I just thought it was ludicrous. And it was ludicrous that nobody my age had any idea what it was. So the 
Perimenopause, if you don't know what it is, is the bit before the menopause when a woman's estrogen levels begin to diminish as she heads towards the menopause and her periods fuck off. And that's what it is. Um, and so it can be far, it can be a few months or it can be actually anything up from 10 to 15 years. So it's a long time to be going through these horrific, if you have horrific symptoms, some women will have no symptoms. You know, you can just sort of arrive, wake up one day and you'd be like, oh, my periods have ended, that's fine. Um, but other women will have a, you know, an awful time. Are you talking about this in your show, Pat? Yeah, and it's what? very funny. What's the, have you, I, I don't want to preempt this, but I'm dying to know. What's, have you been, have you read much writing about it? Well, well, we were talking about that. I was talking about that with Robin at Latitude. Um, there is, and I know she's not super popular right now, but Jermaine Greer has written a book about it, which I still haven't read because I have the attention span of a gnat, uh, but which I am definitely going to read. Um, because she argues against medicating, although <laughs> I am going to get everything. Um, <laughs> But um, uh, and and also the, about the way uh, med uh, the way we medicalize this part of a woman's life, and also why we do, what, what you know the, the politics uh, behind why we know so little, which isn't really surprising because it's something that happens only to women. Um, so uh, yeah, I, so I, start, I I started writing stuff about it, and it, and it, it's it's just a part of the show. It's not like a, a whole part of the show. I mean, I, I, you're right to be livid. And have you found, in terms of, because it's interesting when you say there's not much out there, have you found that the reaction to the show, you have had a lot of people come to you going, well, like Alex, but not, or, or me, but we've just never heard about this, we just don't know about this. This is not out there within it. I think we might have talked at Latitude, there's an interesting thing where there's a film called The Love Witch. I don't know if you've seen it. No. And it's about a witch who creates these spells to make men fall in love with her. And one of the things that the director put in there was at one point she makes uh, this particular potion using a used tampon because she'd found found out that uh, most men have, you know, married men, etc., had never seen them at all. And she went, okay, I'm going to do that. And it's, you know, it's yeah. just done. And it's not done in a kind of John Waters way or anything like that. It's just literally she makes the spell and she uses that. And I think that's, there's a lot of elements of that. And I wonder how much you feel uh, in terms of growing up, the literature you were reading, the things that you would consider to have been, if not hidden, <clears throat> issues that are clouded within the mainstream. Oh, God, Robin, keep it light. Okay. Um. It's either that or you can answer, well, what books do you like reading if you've got the attention span of a gnat? Choose your own adventure. Here we go. It's A or B. Um, firstly, I think, um, to answer your first question, uh, in terms of the subject matter that when I'm looking at myself as a woman and what I, the kind of stuff that I was reading when I was young, probably I wasn't looking, I wasn't informed, I didn't want to be informed, I didn't know, I didn't care, it wasn't in any interest to me. So I, I suppose a lot of the books I was reading uh, were just the stuff that I wanted. I, I mean, I, I, I'm a fiction lover, so I'm not a massive non-fiction reader. And so that's probably, and I was probably drawn to books that were about lesbians. <laughs> hmm. and, was, um, other, other, was there a particular novel? That you remember, or a particular book? Um, there was a book called uh, "The Way the Crow Flies," which wasn't really a, a book about gay women at all, but um, is written by a gay woman. And um, uh, she'd also written a book called "Fall on Your Knees," which is a, a very big lesbo book, which I very much enjoyed. Um, she's Canadian, Anne Marie Macdonald. Can I ask a slightly controversial question? You can feel free not to answer it. I will not answer it. Okay. Okay, go. Um, just because I spent the when you were not here talking, I spent a lot of time talking about Jewish writers and Jewish writing. Do you? And sometimes I'll read a book by a Jewish writer, 
not about a Jewish subject, but there's something about the subtext or there's something about the perspective that still speaks to me in a way that feels very resonant. Do you feel that way ever reading a book that's not particularly about lesbianism or anything like that, but is by a, a gay lesbian woman? Writer? Yeah. Um, do you know what? I don't, yeah, maybe to a degree, maybe to a degree. Well, and also I think more in my 20s when my identity, um, I didn't really see that mirrored back at me. And so I was really looking for me, for books um, that that reflected what I thought was my experience or what I want, actually probably what, what, not what was my experience, but what I wanted my experience to be. Um, yeah, definitely. And I think as I've gotten older, I think I probably need that less. Sure. Um, but that's not to say that I don't like to plug into that, definitely. But, I, you know, I'm now I'm not like, uh, who am I? I don't know who I am as a woman and a person. And now I'm just like, yeah, this is it. Um, um, I had, I, there was lots of books that I read obsessively and, um, and maybe in hindsight I can probably see why, like all those, Jane, I was obsessed with Jane Austen and, and the Bronte sisters. So I read all of those and I think it's just because all these women were stuck in really suffocating circumstances they couldn't escape. And I think possibly I felt the same in a convent all girls school in South London, um, not being able to express myself. Um, uh, but I guess when I started to hit my late teens, the books that that would started to make me think, oh my God, you are a complete lesbo, um, are probably. Um, <laughs> this is, and again, this is going to sound as much of this is going to sound like an absolutely horrific cliche. But um, Alice Walker's books, um, when I first read The Color Purple, I was like. Oh, I mean, apart from obviously there's, there's bigger issues in there than, uh, you know, lesbianism, but, um, that was definitely the one that I tapped into the most. And I think, um, that love story in there, um, I didn't expect it to end well for anyone. And uh, the fact that it did made me think, oh, you can fall in love and, and it can be happy and it can be with a woman and that's great, you know, and I think that was, and then I, and then I read all of Alice Walker's books and progressively got depressed, um, because they're all really sad and depressing and, the color purple sad, isn't it? It, it? Well, the color purple is, but there's but there's something that happens that's redeemed at the end. Whereas in Meridian and I think the the Second Life of Grange Copeland, it's just relentlessly sad. Are there any books that you you have stopped reading not because they're not wonderful, but because you just go, I can't. I mean, like I think someone like Hubert Selby Jr. and uh, and Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, which I can't. Is just, the, but there it's is a just point relentless. both in the novel and the film where you go, no. well, it's not going to get any better, is it? Yeah, it's really. I mean. I mean there's a great, uh, it's, it's sometimes called The Boozer, uh, and sometimes they just keep the French name, L'Assemoir, which is a Zola novel where the first 60 pages, everything's going fine for the yeah. seamstress. And then it starts to go wrong, <laughs> and at page 250 you go, there is going to be no positive turn of events, but I'm going to have to keep going. She's died. He, you know, that, that moment where you go, I, I can't drag myself through this. You, you do that when you're young, don't you? I think in your 20s and your late teens, possibly even into your early 30s, you, you, I, I sought out misery. I kind of wanted it because I guess because I, I, you know, I consider myself to be extremely privileged and, you know, you know, the, the opportunities and things that I've had in life. And so I, I kind of 
probably sort that out a bit more. And, and, and especially reading books by, uh, you know, women of color or whatever, really seeing that you just, you're like, you're trying to create empathy. You're trying to go, oh, what would that be like? Or whatever. You're not really. You're just sort of like, it's a kind of a sort of slightly self-indulgent thing to do. But, and, and here comes the biggest cliche. Strap yourself in, Alex. Um, when, um, my, once the children were born, once my girl, you know, once we had the twins, then I was just like, shut it down. Sad stuff. I can't deal with it. Anything that has anything with a kid disappearing, dying, getting sad, getting sick, I'm yeah. like, I'm out. Yeah, I, can't I do stupidly it. watched the film The Mist shortly after my son was born, and I won't give away the. Is anyone here? It, it's it's based. Uh, Can I guess that The it, Mist it, gets? It, 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 it's Frank Darabont who um, has repeatedly uh, adapted Stephen King's short stories, predominantly, and uh, he basically said Stephen King, "I've thought of ending your story like this," and even Stephen King went, "That's dark. wow, that's bleak." I don't think you can make it that way. <laughs> and it has, and it has a, 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 an ending bleaker than, than the short story. But there's, uh, well, I'll, I will definitely stay clear of that. Yeah, you won't want to yeah, see the film. Or the, uh, it, it, what about you for, you know, as, 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 a, as a young New York intellectual, Alex? Uh, the, what, what are the... Um, I'm very clever. Uh, is there a, a book that you still have on your shelf that's been there for quite a while that you go, I will read this oh, great novel. God. You know, when you go, this is, it's the great American novel. I must get round to it and each year. Yeah, you know, it's the fucking cliched one. What, Ulysses? You could guess no. What is oh, anyone, a, a, anyone, a great rainbow. Anyone uh, want to guess? Anyone want to guess rainbow? what it is? No, I'm a white man. Would anyone want to guess what book I've been waiting to read by a smug, recently dead author? That I'm dying. Not recently, recently. Oh, 2008. hang on. You, in, infinite Jest. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Do you know what? Alan Moore read that in about a day. No. Uh, what? Yeah. Not only does he write books that length, he also reads them. Did he read them well. or did he just put it in his beard and no, let the hair is just like fucking swallow it whole? You know when you have a friend who not merely reads quickly but digests everything? Yeah. And I, I gave Alan Moore a book about uh, quantum theory. How and do you then, keep that stuff in? I don't know. I can't I, absorb anything. Also, who gives a shit? Quantum theory? You. Your dad is going to be very angry. Yeah, he's not going to be pleased. He can't figure out podcasts. My father teaches at MIT, and he's like, I don't like it. He also doesn't like sad books. He says, the world is sad enough. I need to read sad books now. My dad, dad. I was like, I was like, you've been reading the Torah for 50 years. (laughs) It's just nothing. You'd think by the time we were enslaved in Egypt, you were like, this is not going to end well. You'd have shut the scroll and like just gone about your day. But like, infinite jest is David Foster Wallace is my favorite writer of nonfiction. His stuff. His cruise ship essay, a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again, is so fucking funny. It's so good. He could be a stand-up if that wasn't, like, clearly beneath him. He's a little, like, too smart. But Infinite Jest, I'm always like, I'm going to get to it one day. I, I'll never get to I'm never going to get to it. I don't, I don't want to. I've, I've, I've started into it a few times. I've made, I've turned back by the, but, but, like, shortly after leaving base camp. Like, I'm like, this isn't, this is too big. It's not kinetic enough. It's, it's, I'm not smart enough for this. I don't have a dictionary next to me the entire time. There are footnotes in the back to clump to. Hey, do you read stuff on ebook ever? Yeah, every now and again when the space is run out in the house, I have to do that, yeah. And that is genuinely, my <laughs> wife bought me that thinking it would mean I'd bring it. Uh, yeah, book. she was mistaken. But yeah, yeah, it didn't no. work at all because the Kindle doesn't smell the same. <laughs> I don't get the same crusty and rush <laughs> from the perfect binding glue. What do you do with all your books, Robin? Where do they go? It, it does look like a wave. Builds a it throne. It genuinely looks like a terrifying uh, wave that is getting closer and closer to the edge of the bed. Is and, it like, yeah. you're just like the greatest book hoarder of all time? 
time. I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting rid of a thousand books. Anyone who's listening to this, who Are we you? always get, give away books, and I, I, I've said to my wife, I will find a thousand books. The first 200 was quite easy because they were ones that I'd actually bought twice. Now, after that, whoa. Oh, God, Robin, Dude. you've got problems, whoa. mate. And I've even gone, do you know what? I've got four favorite covers of this book, but I'm only going to keep one of them. Yeah, I've done that kind of thing. <laughs> You know, wow. there, there, there's a few authors where I, well, I Am Legend by Richard Matheson, which has never been turned into a good film, but it's an amazing is short it a good, film. Is, is it a good? Decent, it's a well, brilliant book. Film? It is one of the great the, the works. The film is not good. No, well, the film does right. The whole point of the film is he's the last fucking human on earth. He is now legend. He is realized. He is the freak. It's the end. Not the point of, oh, it turns out there's loads of other humans up the road. Let's go up there. Yeah. That really changes the idea yeah. of the story. <laughs> Post-apocalyptic. There's so much post-apocalyptic. I love post-apocalyptic. Anything, give it to me. I like there's it. A, there's a apparently the road. All of that. I love it. Someone oh, asked the road though. Could you read that now with the twi- I mean, that's. A- I found that really hard to read before yeah. I had children. So probably I don't. I'm not in a rush to read it again. I have to say, but when I read it, I couldn't put it down. I, I literally could not put that book down, and it was so bleak but I just the whole world I felt like I was in it I felt like I knew it it was so bizarre and it was obviously uh, tragic but um, would I read it again I, I don't know not now I it don't wasn't think fun so. though that book I read not that book f- and I was like not fun but I think sometimes like I said I kind of sometimes like that I don't know. That's I find so it weird cathartic. To me. I think I can only read stuff now. Even stuff with I, I think I need fun books. I think I'm like I think I'm almost out. Oh, I had David Sedaris straight after, don't worry. I felt like, you know, just Sure. Um, A palate cleanser. Uh, yeah, you've got to cleanse have, that shit. Have you shit read uh, Meg Rossoff's I mean I, I know many people have it, but How I Live Now, I thought is it How I Live or How We Live Now? I can't remember which uh, I think it's how I live that one, which is kind of not post-apocalypse so much, but about a, a crumbling a society where there's been an invasion, and it's it's this wonderfully kind of this is basically what happens when you find yourself running away from forces when you're trying to survive in a and and that's a beautifully written book, not quite as far as a dystopia, but it's. Uh, and who's the author again? Meg Rossoff. Can, can I give okay, my dad's grumbly, curmudgeonly rejoinder whenever I recommend something that's dystopian future stuff? I don't need a dystopian future. I live in a dystopian present. <laughs> so my father yeah. always says he's like, I live in a dystopian present. I don't need I don't need to read your sad books, Alex. <laughs> Every book I give him, he gets really upset if there's sad stuff. He's like he mostly reads biographies. He reads biographies of he just finished a biography of cancer. Called the Emperor of All Maladies. What? Oh yeah. But he doesn't like oh right. Yeah, he doesn't like he well, he's a he's a medical researcher. And so recently, he's had to become a... My dad's like a really smart dude. He gave a TED Talk. Not like a TEDx bullshit talk. Like a real TED Talk. <laughs> Do you know when someone's like, we had one of these microphones that hang off your ear and uh, uh, assembly hall for four days. So we decided there's going to be TEDx uh, Barnard Castle. Like, it doesn't work that way. Like, it's a, my dad gave a TED Talk because his work in cardiology ended up having some relevance to cancer. So he had to become a cancer doctor. And the thing is, I genuinely think my father's around so much human misery in the hospitals that he works in that he just doesn't want. My dad loves airport novels, and he knows that they're dumb. He hates. He, he read the same James Patterson novel once five times on accident. I just remember clocking him reading Along Came a Spider. And then a few months later, I clocked him reading Along Came a Spider. And then around past, they're like, I was home for the holidays. I saw him reading Along Came a Spider. And I was like, wow, this is three times now. And I'm like, Dad, are you finishing the book? And every time he's like, no, just started. 
Because, like, he finishes it in, like, uh, like a day if he sits down and just has a day to himself. And those books, they're, like, mind erasers. Like, you don't remember the plot of a James Patterson book. My favorite one's this guy, Daniel Silva. He writes about this Israeli spy named Gabriel Lalonde. And I think I've read every single one and maybe one a few times. Like, I just can't remember the plot of any of them. Final question for both of you, the, uh, which is, oh. but we're just, uh, I, think, I think, how much time we got, Trent? Yep, that yeah. is then. So, uh, the, which is, can you read when you're doing the Fringe Festival? Because one thing that I <laughs> no! find is, yeah, you become so, uh, absolutely not. I've got, that's crazy. No, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't, why, what, what, what do you, what do you do to, to, what do you do to unwind? Sleep. Who unwinds? I don't even sleep. I am I constantly in a state of anxiety. Yeah. I bought, um, I bought a book, which I've actually read before, because I thought, well, look, you've read it before. So, you know, this will be quite an easy read for you. And I really enjoyed it the first time. Another really light, light-hearted book, uh, Regeneration by Pat Barker. Hmm, seeing a theme here, actually. Um, <laughs> And is it I haven't it even started it. I, I bought it right at the beginning of the festival oh. in the Oxfam on Nicholson Street, and I haven't even looked at it. And it's just sitting on the side of my bed. And, and I could read, I could like, before I go to sleep, I could pick it up. And that's normally when I like to read. It's just before bed. I like to read a, you know, a couple of chapters. I can't. I'm just like. You don't read news on your phone or anything like that? I find I don't like to look beyond my phone before bed because then it's just that kind of a spinny, spinny shit. So um, I just sort of do what most people do in my situation, just maniacally toss and turn for two and a half hours <laughs> and then rethink of all the things I said. And it, I remember that time you said that thing to that person, they think you're a bit of an idiot. Do you remember that time that you got drunk and you tried to punch that cab driver in the face? <laughs> do you remember that time? For two and a half hours and then eventually I get about four and a half hours sleep. Is that normal? You're showing off. Yeah. You've got an hour and a half on me. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Really? Why have I punched so many cab drivers? <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm reading John Niven's The Second Coming, which I've read before, just because I can't do a lot of brain work, but reading something that's a little loose and funny and happy does put me in a good mood. I'm uh, reading Simon Rich's Spoiled Brats, which is a series of like really short, just like jokes. Like they're just, it's just joke stories, like funny, fun stuff. And uh, I read David Eagleman's Sum, which is also short, funny which is stuff. Great for, if you've not read it, it's great for okay. this kind of time. They're all two, three pages long, and they're different ideas of possibilities of what happens in the afterlife. Really, is the basic. Yeah, they're it's all really jokes. Good little too, thought kind of. experiment. Yeah, that's probably perfect for me right now. Two to three pages. That's like that's about a bunch. It's so good. Something. It's so. And the title story is like imagine you imagine you die. And then when you die, you relive your life over, but all the moments that share quality are grouped together. So, like, you take a marathon shower for, like, six years, and then, like, you wait in traffic for, like, um, seven months, and you have sex only once, but you have it for, like, you know, five or six days, depending on, yeah, whatever. But, like... Just, I don't know. It feels sore thinking about it. Yeah. There's a lovely, there's one where... Uh, when you die, you can uh, decide what you want to come back as. And someone decides they want to come back as a horse, and they start to watch themselves changing. And then suddenly, as they see their hands become hooves, they realize that they will never be able to have that decision again because they won't have the consciousness. Oh. So it's kind of things that play around. So that might keep you awake and, at night eventually. And the last <laughs> line of that story is even more <laughs> gross and haunting because he goes, and he wondered what kind of magnificent creature decided to become a human. It's like, what a step down. We can only go down. 
Uh, thank you very much for coming down. Thank you, uh, Alex Abelman. By the time this goes out, we will uh, find... Well, whatever happens, you're going to be playing the Soho Theatre. And yeah. uh, I imagine that show will be on Sep tour. September 11th to 22nd. And, yeah, and hopefully I'll, I'll tour it a bit. And, uh, yeah. And, Jen, are you going to be uh, I'm on tour as well. Um uh, from the uh, end of September, I can't remember, um, but <laughs> the end of September to the end of November. But yeah, I'm all over, including Soho at some point. Jen, you, Alex, thank you very much for coming down. Thanks, Trent. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode from the Edinburgh Fringe. A uh, few more things to announce as well, including some uh, giveaways for listeners. Uh, Robin has to give away 1,000 books uh, so he can fit in the front door of his house. So we're going to be giving some of those away to Book Shambles listeners. So listen next week to find out details about that or follow us at Cosmic Shambles or at Robin Ince on Twitter. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your support. And we will be back next week. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions. Mm -hmm.